Well, keep your Bibles open there to Acts chapter 19, and we're going to spend a few minutes in our study of God's Word during this portion of our worship. And I want you to begin by realizing that becoming a Christian is a life-changing experience. If it is not a life-changing experience, then you didn't become a Christian. The Bible is very clear and very plain in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's something new there. He goes on to say, Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's a different outlook. There's a different perspective. And there's a different kind of life that we live. It was that same gospel message that could turn the persecutor Paul into the preacher Paul to make a different change in his life. It is as John the Baptist preached in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8. He said, therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance. Let people be able to see by the way that you live, the things that you do, that you have truly made a difference in your life. This morning we want to take that portion from Acts chapter 19 and we want to look at the events that occurred in Ephesus. We're not going to look at all of that. We studied part of it last week. But we want to look at the parts of it that are relevant to our study about the burning of the books. Second of all, we want to look at the eradication of sin. Getting rid of it in our lives. We have to see it in their lives and then finally... We're going to look at an encouragement to emulate these people. They were good Christian folks. We want to be good Christian folks. And so let us begin our study. And to begin with, let's emphasize that Paul stayed at Ephesus for three years. In fact, he was there longer than any other place that he worked. We read in verses 8 through 10... And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. We learn the very first thing that he does is to spend three months in the synagogue. That's to follow the plan that Paul had always pursued. You remember in Romans chapter 1, he said to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He would always go into the Jewish synagogue, but... When the people there began to say, we're not interested, the Bible said they were hardened, they did not believe, then he moved and went to the school of Tyrannus, and there he was for a period of two years. You can see that's the same way that he did when he was in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. He went first to the synagogue, and then when they wouldn't listen, he went right next door and began to preach and to teach there. Paul spent a period of three years in this place. What's interesting is, is that while Paul was here, he did a number of things that were just extraordinary, remarkable, even above maybe the other places. The fact that the Lord allowed miracles to occur that were just not the ordinary. Notice with me verses 11 and 12. 
Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the disease left them and evil spirits went out of them. You know, it wasn't even just when Paul would have to go and be physically present. There would be people who would take the the small handkerchief and they would take it to Paul and then to someone else and it would bring about a healing. That itself was remarkable. We realize that this was God's plan. You know when a man arrives in a city and he preaches the gospel, how were they to know that he was really from God or not? Well, God provided the miracles for proof of that. Because there were many people who would claim, but for only one who could work true miracles would that be true. In Mark chapter 16, beginning with verse 17, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. That means that when they performed the miracles, that was God saying, this is my word, you can believe them. Or put it very simply in Hebrews 2 verse 4, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. That's the way God did it. He allowed men like Paul. And so you see Paul going to the synagogue. You see him spending two years in Tyrannus. You see him great miracles being worked. But you have to remember this is Ephesus. A huge city. And this city had a lot of mysticism and a lot of pretenders. You know, it's just like today. There are people who are pretenders. There are people who will tell you that the Lord has spoken to them. There are people who will claim that they can work all sorts of miracles. The question is, are they true or are they not? Exodus chapter 7 verse 11 speaks about Pharaoh's magicians. Pharaoh called his wise men and sorcerers and so the magicians of Egypt and they also did in like manner with their enchantments. There are going to be people who are going to try to amaze people with their talent and their ability. You remember when we studied Acts chapter 8 verses 9 and 10 and it says there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man has the great power of God. They would look at Simon and say, Simon has power, but he was a pretender. He was a charlatan. He was deceiving people. Or if you'll remember in Acts 13... Paul has gone to the island of Cyprus. He's traveled through from one end to the other to the west end of the island, and he comes to the city of Paphos, and there is a proconsul there by the name of Sergius Paulus. But there is also a fellow there by the name of Elamus. He was a sorcerer, a false prophet, 
a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, according to verse 6. In verse 8, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for so was his name translated, withstood them and seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And Paul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, an enemy of all unrighteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Yes, you've got men like Simon, you've got men like Elymas who are trying to turn people away from the Lord and to make people think that they are someone great. Well, here in Ephesus, there's a chief priest who has seven sons, and they too are pretenders. Let's look with me now at verses 13 through 17 of this text. Luke says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and counted up the value of them, and it was totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. I want you to imagine these pretenders here. These pretenders were trying to cast out demons. They didn't have the power to do so. In fact, they were sent out wounded and naked. But I want you to realize, when it comes down to it, people have to ultimately admit, at some point, this is a pretender, and this is the power of God. You remember in Exodus chapter 8, after the magicians of Pharaoh had worked all of their pretentious magic, came to the lice. In verse 19, the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. This is not something that you and I can pretend or can even fool people about. This is God's doings. Simon and Elymas both had to admit Simon admitted it when he became a Christian and he gave up his sorcery. Elymas, when he was struck blind, had to acknowledge that someone had greater power than he did. Well, the people here, they also understand the difference between the real and the fake. Here's these seven sons of this Jewish chief priest and what happens to them? They're trying it and they're proved to be false. Paul, on the other hand, and the message that he had preached proved to be true. What they did was to burn their books, their magical art books. 
These were valuable books. They counted the price of them and they said to be 50,000 pieces of silver. That's almost beyond our comprehension. Do you remember that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? The price of a slave? For the amount of money that these Christians at Ephesus was the equivalent of 1,700 slaves. Think about a man being able to buy the lives of 1,700 people. That's how much these books were worth. That could literally have been worth millions, more likely hundreds of millions of dollars. That tells you what kind of an event that happened here at Ephesus. Now, that was the details. Now we have to start saying, what did it mean? Why would these people have gone to such an extreme measure? Why would they take something so valuable and burn it? And no longer be able to have any benefit. They were burning their sinful bridges behind them. They never intended to go back across that bridge. They never intended to practice this magic again. They didn't want to look back. Do you know if a person had taken those magical books and they put them there in their presence and they said, well, maybe I ought to go back. No, we're not going to do that. We're never going back. Do you remember Genesis chapter 19, verse 26? Talking about Lot's wife, it says, but his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Why did Mrs. Lot become a pillar of salt? Because her heart was still back in Sodom. There was no genuine, real repentance on her side. That's the reason why Jesus said in Luke 13, or 17, verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Jesus himself taught in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Once you become a Christian, here's where you are. There is the the cutting off of those things that are behind you and the pressing forward to those things that are in front of you and God doesn't want you looking back. He doesn't want you looking back like the children of Israel did with a longing for Egypt. He doesn't want you looking back longing for your life of sin. Now why would they be able to have that kind of attitude? It's because they know better now. I'd like to use an illustration before I go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. Here's a person maybe who has smoked all their life. And they come now to realize the damage that has been done. Maybe the damage has been done to their cardiovascular system and all of their arteries are stopping up. Or maybe the damage has been done to their lungs and now they may have emphysema or COPD or some other lung disease or maybe even cancer. And they say, now I recognize how bad this is And so I'm going to stop it. You don't keep your carton of cigarettes stuck in the drawer somewhere that you can go back to them. 
Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life in God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. He said, you now know better. You don't go back and do what you once did. Look how ignorant they were, what they did not understand. Eradication of sin involves you taking off your sinful practices in order to put on righteous ones. It's when a person says, I'm no longer going to follow after the sinful ways. I'm going to get rid of that. In Ephesians 4, verse 20, Paul would write, But you have not so learned, Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man that goes corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man that was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You take off the old, you put on the new. You take off the bad, you put on the good. You take off the dirty and you put on the clean. You see, for them, eradication from sin was to try to cut it off. They knew better now. You keep reading Ephesians chapter 4. Get to verses 25 through 31. And Paul will specifically say, now here's some of the things you need to put off. You need to put off lying and anger and wrath and stealing and evil speech and bitterness and clamor and malice. Those are bad things. You you don't nurse them. You don't keep them around. You get rid of them. Dispelling darkness in your life is going to be a real challenge. Here's a young man, here's a young woman who says, I want to become a Christian. What do you tell them? Do you tell them, oh, it won't be any different. It's going to be about, oh, no, you don't tell them that. You tell them that darkness is going to try to creep back into your life. The devil is going to stay after you. Listen to verses 8 through 12 of chapter 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. You don't go after all of that. Look at the Ephesians. Paul is saying, get rid of that sin, eradicate it, make a change in your life. Now we get to the part of the lesson which says, us. We get to the part of the lesson where we're we're trying to apply what we have learned. So that as you and I listen to this and learn, we we try to make some changes. These people of Acts 19 were good folks, Christian folks. And their lives are worthy of our emulation. The first thing that I learned is they believed in the Lord. When Paul came and he preached, 
There were a few of those Jews and there were many of the Gentiles who heard what he had to say and they believed in the Lord Jesus. They took steps to make a clear break with their past at a great personal cost. They had to pay a real price. Sometimes here's a young man or a young woman or an older man or an older woman and they want to become a Christian, but they say, but you know, if I become a Christian, I may actually lose my job. Or my parents are rather wealthy and I may no longer be a part of their inheritance. Yeah? What's more important to you? The money or your soul? You see, for the people of Ephesus, they understood we're talking about the salvation of our eternal soul. And they were willing to say, I'll make a clear break. I'm going to put it behind me. They removed the temptation to relapse into their former sinful life. Now, folks, here is where there's a real challenge. We sometimes think that we can keep doing the same old things and come out with a different result. The Bible will tell us in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, Walk with wise men and you'll be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Or 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, Do not be deceived. Evil communications corrupts good habits. You want to tell you something? The kind of people that you hang out with, the kind of people that you run with, will influence you. The kind of places you choose to go, the kind of things that you choose to do. When you become a child of God, sometimes you can't keep running with those old sinful friends if they're not willing to listen and learn and try to change their lives. You can't keep doing the same old things that you once did. But you say, well, that's going to be a, a tremendous cost. Yes, it is. We learn from Romans chapter 13. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision for the flesh to make a change in your life. I want you to listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Here is Paul as he is trying to really get the church to understand the needs to change. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's cleanse ourselves of everything that's bad, everything that's ugly, whether it's in our fleshly desires or whether it's in our spiritual realm. But he says, let's perfect holiness in the sight of God. You know, sin's still in the world. It was in Ephesus. 
But you and I have to make a decision whether or not we're going to follow God or whether or not we're going to follow the ways of the world. It's really a choice that's always there. And so I ask the question as we end this lesson, are you willing to repent of your sins like the Ephesians did and burn your books? Get rid of the sin that is in your life. Now we're going to sing the song, I Bring My Sins to Thee. And you think about as we're singing this song, are you willing to do what they did? Bringing our sins to God to be forgiven. To do that, you've got to bring them and get rid of them. If you need to come to become a Christian this morning through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, or if you need to come and be restored, we encourage you to do so as together we stand and sing.